0: Far too often, caring for a family member falls mainly on one or two people. This is not only unfair, it's unsustainable and unhealthy. Caring for someone with Alzheimer's is hard enough. We shouldn't have to do this alone. The question then is, how do we include family members who are uncertain, busy, or simply not the caregiving type? The following conversation talks about putting together a care committee, Allowing people to handle things that they are best suited to and dividing up the workload so that no one feels overburdened is worth the extra effort. Once a care committee is in place, other health emergencies within an extended family are much easier to handle. There's less stress and fear when you know you have others who can be relied on to help out. We all want the best for our families and this is the next step in achieving that. This episode is brought to you by Family History Films. Visit MyFamilyHistoryFilm.com to find out how they can preserve your family history in a fascinating documentary film. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Before we get into the show, I want to thank everyone who tunes in regularly. And if this is your first episode, welcome! I want to encourage all of you to follow me on social media. All of the links are in the show notes. My social media accounts are full of details about mom visits, my own life, podcasting, and most importantly, cute dog photos and videos. I share advice from guests and other caregivers to give you as much support as I can. Now on to the show. Chatting with me today are Cindy and Corey. They are mom and son, and they spoke to me about how their family, rallied around Cindy's dad when he realized he could no longer care for his wife they affectionately call themselves the committee and i think they are a blueprint to follow for every family
1: i think probably around the time that they decided to retire i think we started noticing that she was having memory issues but they weren't bad they weren't bad at
2: all the occasional like repeat a uh, a question here and there you know and yeah, we would start noticing that, like, Grandma already asked about that, didn't she? You know?
1: Right, yeah. right. But it, it just wasn't anything that we were overly concerned about. Mm-hmm. And she had health issues. The last thing that she endured was a um, kind of an emergency surgery for a hiatal hernia, mm-hmm. which they don't usually do surgery for. But hers was yeah. so bad that she had to to go through that. And because of all that she went through with that surgery, it brought on the more of a memory issue thing as she was recovering. And that was the beginning of her dementia. It it became more prominent at family gatherings um, and my dad took it on. He would take her to all of her doctor appointments and then started with neurologists to have her diagnosed eventually with vascular dementia. They attributed it to what she went through in that surgery, but she was already going down that road. It just sort of made it happen faster. None of us really thought that this was something to think about. (laughs) And and it's it's definitely, um, it's been a journey. Let's just put it that way. Dad did an excellent job to To take on the caregiving part, he did everything. And we were not aware of basically all that that entailed uh, because it was manageable. Um, Mom, you know, as she became more and more dependent on him and he made sure that he made it easy for her to get through her day, to get her to where she needed to be to get her hair cut, and all these things. But it was evident um, at more family gatherings. Every time we'd try and get her to a place, sometimes he'd have to call and say, I cannot get your mother in the car. She's not wanting to do this today. And we would understand. And he would get frustrated. And it was just sort of, what's going on here? (laughs) You know, because he shielded us from a lot of that everyday stuff until about two years ago, where he called to talk to him, where he finally put up the white flag and said, I cannot do this anymore. It's more than I can handle. So he called in what he, fondly calls his committee in air quotes and <laughs> <The committee. laughs> that we do that, yeah. which uh, we took on the responsibility of finding a place for mom. He said, I will take care of her, uh, but I can't do this part. I, I need for you guys to help me. And so we did. And we, we got him a bridge, <laughs> what we called the bridge where in-home care came in to help him while we Took that job on to tour and interview places for Mom. Literally, we we found two, and we brought them back to Dad, and then he took it over from there.
2: Um, yeah, I mean we didn't know sort of you know the sort of timeline for Grandpa's health right. at that point. You know, he
1: was very depressed at he, this he, point. Yeah,
2: he was going through his own emotional struggle, and I, I think you know having the committee, <laughs> as it were, the quote unquote committee, um, <clears throat> helped to sort of relieve this sort of stress of decision-making a a little bit. I think, I think there's, there's a bit of like, when you reach out for help, especially like in a spouse situation, from what I can just get from being sort of an outside viewer of the entire situation is, is that, you know, the decision to put somebody at home to some can feel like giving up on that person.
0: I can see that.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and I think that you know having the others in your support system be able to look at all of the options and sort of what would be best for you know your your loved one at that point, give you the best decision <laughs> to to make as opposed to like you know you grappling with this sort of personal idea that you know you're is does this mean that I'm giving up on my wife? Does this mean that you know we're giving up on mom and then it's further further from the truth, you know like providing somebody with the help, putting them in a facility that Will be able to give them more than you could give them at home. It's it's a hard personal struggle, but ultimately, better care for my grandmother was going to be had at at a memory facility.
1: And I think you know, perceptions of uh, care facilities has changed immensely, especially yeah. since my my dad um, thought about them. You know, they're quite different than they were when maybe he would have thought about this for his parents. So that perception needed to be brought from his children to him saying, wow, you know, here are the things that they will provide for mom. And, and we had a stake in making sure I, my, I know that the committee took great care in, You know, talking prior, going together to do the tours and saying to each other, if for one moment any of you feel uncomfortable in here, for whatever reason, you need to let us know and we will leave and then we will go talk about it. And there was one place that we did have that both uh, my sister-in-law and I both looked at each other and shook our heads as we were going through it. And I said, "Okay, we let them finish the tour. And that one was just off the table. So.
2: Yes. that's be, when. Be picky.
1: <laughs> yes, be no, very absolutely. picky. Absolutely.
2: <laughs> be real picky. Um, yes, because you, know.
1: they, 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 you want them to care for your parent. You want it um, to be comfortable? They want feeling, comfortable you know? that they are well cared for and all the aspects that are going to come down the line that you're not even aware of. Yeah. As we were not even aware of at the time until she was there.
0: Well, essentially. So, yeah. It's interesting. My dad was similar to your dad. He kind of hit a lot of the problems from my sister and I, he facilitated mom getting to her nail appointments, her hair appointments and all that stuff. She had friends that picked her up for um, a Soroptimist women's service group meetings. And one gal would drag my mom along on errands with her, which My dad was never sure what time the lady would drop her off. So that always frustrated him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was really nice of her to take my mom for like the majority of the day. I think he missed that part. But what a lot of people don't know is that 65% of caregivers will be hospitalized or die before their carry passes away. Mm -hmm. And my dad never discussed, never thought about a community, a memory community for my mom at all. I found out while he was on hospice that he just assumed she'd move in with me, which, as I've said on prior episodes, was a really bold assumption because my daughter did not move out until a month before my dad died. So I didn't even have a spare room. So I wasn't ready to pretty much give up my social life to stay home with my mom. Because that's, no, that wouldn't have worked. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. I think six months into her residency there, they moved her to the second level, which was more advanced dementia and dementia care. But when she first got there, she cared for a baby doll. Yeah. And she had found in the activity room this little baby that she carried around. Um, everywhere. I've mm. got pictures of her with her holding her on her shoulder and taking her to bed. And my dad finally went out and got her her own baby doll because that doll was obviously a therapy doll right. <laughs> in their activity room. And she carried that around for about three months until she forgot about her baby. Yeah. And, and then um, she just got steadily... <sighs> Worse, I mean, that's all you can say is every time you'd go to visit her, she, she had a busy pad that they would put her at her table, um, and she she would pound the table with her hand and I or her legs you know and it was a very rhythmic thing that she did all the time and that bothered other residents so they got this pad for her where there were buttons and zippers and things that she could fidget with I think they do call it like a fidget pad or something and that way it spread across the table so if she pounded on the table it didn't bother the other residents the last Christmas she was there she loved to dance so she was listening to Christmas music and dancing we went and visited her and that's one of the last pictures I have with her is dancing at Christmas time and, and a party that they did have <clears throat> with her before she started getting to the point where she didn't remember anything. It was tough to see the decline happen so rapidly once it hit a certain point. And my dad would go I mean, he was in very involved with the staff there. He would make DVDs of old movies. And and since he had done that, they would have movie nights or movie afternoons where every resident would come into that activity room and watch movies.
2: That's how I want my, like when I get placed in a home when I'm older, like just make every afternoon and a movie afternoon. Right. And mom
1: loved it. She would listen from the back of the room, but sometimes she would get combative or agitated. And so they definitely needed to keep her separate. Even at, at, at mealtimes, she had her own section of a table that she sat at. She became get more and more, more aggressive. Yeah.
2: Um, and it, and, and it, frustrated with the, like that she couldn't like piece together her surroundings, right, and all that. so she would jump to to anger and and be really aggressive.
1: So unfortunately, she yeah. wasn't too social. She did have one gentleman that was her next door neighbor. That he always told her her home that husband. he her home husband. yeah. Dad's <laughs> um, what dad called her uh, called him is that, that that's her boyfriend, you her know, boyfriend. there. Um, but it was cute, and and he would always um, come over to her and say, "I really like your smile."
0: It mm-hmm. would brighten
1: her up. And I, I mean, it gave, you know, it gave a connection there. It was definitely an eye-opener. um, And one that I knew was happening, but not really grasping how quickly it was happening.
2: Oh, yeah. There's a certain sense of uh, personal denial that you go through. Yeah. Um, and not say, I mean, even going to, you know, where like, the first signs of the dementia, the <clears throat> the repeated questions and whatnot, we all kind of played it off because we all had this like denial. Like, oh, she's grandma. Grandma's fine. Like, yeah, she's getting older. It's fine. And we, you know, you, you don't like immediately connect all those dots, you know, and especially with, you know, grandpa kind of putting up those walls and only letting, you know, um, her socialize when she was having good days and coming to family events and stuff when she was ready to to go, you know, like that, that keeps you in, in the sort of like dark personally as, as well. Um, I, I think part of that too, is, you know, not, not wanting to realize that like you're losing, not, not, I don't know how to, how to, how to describe this. Like that you're, you're like a person that you've known that's been such a strong figure in your life is slipping away.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And you, you know, you, you, there's a block in your own your own head, especially like for for us on the grandkid level too. Like, oh yeah, grandma's getting older, but like I don't know, we'll see her, you know, in Easter, and we'll see her, and you know, we'll go over there, you know, a few Sundays and have dinner with them. It'll be fine, and then
1: and then when she doesn't remember you, that's when it hits you.
2: Yeah, but even then, like it it takes it took a few time for me personally. Like mm-hmm. it took a few times where like, um. I had to stop myself from going, yeah, you just an- asked this grandma, like realizing like, Oh, wait, 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 wait. There is something going on here. And I, I'm not helping anything by making her frustrated by thinking that she's already had this conversation three times with me, you know? Yeah.
0: And that's a really dangerous question to ask. And it's really hard not to, or, you know, statement, you know, you yeah. already said that I actually did pull that with my mom this past week. She doesn't remember my dad died. She doesn't mm-hmm. remember the dog is gone. It's very, but she remembers the sweater that I confiscated. She <laughs> was literally, I mean, like, that just blows my mind. And I'm the kind of person, I like to know why. I like to understand, you know, like, why does she forget my dad, who she was married to for 55 years? They met when she was, I believe, a sophomore in high school. So, oh. you know, they knew each other, like, close to 60 years or... <laughs> There about 60 years, but she doesn't realize that he's gone. And she doesn't remember the dog's name, but she remembers this sweater. It's like, I don't get it. Just like, that kills me. <laughs> but when we, I, I like to take her out. A lot of it because I just can't deal with answering the same questions over and over and taking her out gives some stimulation. Sure. We were halfway between her room and the doorway. And she's like, does my husband know where I'm at? Yes, mom. I told dad get to the doorway. So it's, we're talking like 15 feet. Does my husband know where we're? Yes, mom. I told that we get to the other outside door, you know, another 10, 12 feet. Same question. We get in the car. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like the fourth time in two minutes. And I'm like, you already asked me that, which I knew was bad. And it didn't upset her. It just, it, it seemed fortunately that this particular week to end that questioning.
1: Mm-hmm. My dad
0: would get very frustrated with her, which is understandable. It bothers me that she asked that question so frequently because I know behind the question and she'll even tell you, well, if my husband doesn't know where I'm at, he's going to get really upset. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't really need a reminder that he probably wasn't as patient as she needed. And trust me, it's not easy. And like I said, he had diabetes and he had all kinds of his own personal issues and he really should have looked into help, you know, now that I look back on it, it would have served both of them quite well. It would have been great if they would have considered moving into assisted living together. Because right. You right. wouldn't have to worry about cooking for which he was terrible at. <laughs> um, his eating habits were terrible too. He was just total meat and potatoes guy. And, <laughs> you know, just, I think a lot of the daily frustrations would have been partially alleviated if he had considered Right. Assisted living. First put my mom in the memory residence. It it was difficult because I knew it wasn't what my dad wanted. And we literally was two weeks after he passed away. So a lot of emotions. My mom, mm-hmm. well, that was the worst day of our life. Cried, begged, pleaded. It was horrible. But I knew it was the right thing to do oh. for everybody. My sister has school age kids. My daughter's almost 27. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like. You know, you need a place that's going to take care of you, not not my house where I have to try to deal with you with all the other things. And I just I knew it would be the right thing to do. And I wish he had checked into that more. And I think it would have helped both of them.
1: Right. Should- our, our experience with getting mom to the it, it affected us more than it affected her because she was at a level where she literally did not understand or not remember anything two minutes after it happened. Yeah. So she trusted my dad. We put her in the car. We got her to Crescendo. We walked in. Everybody was waiting there for her. And that was when she was very, um, like ha- happy, happy, happy all the yeah. time.
2: So she would default into, um, sort of a, a stranger situation when she was with somebody that she trusted, uh, as, though all of these people are very kind people and that they, they should be greeted with, uh, oh, hello, how are you? Right. So nice to see you again. Shaking hands, you know, all that kind of stuff became sort of this default. She was good at sort of putting on this sort of air of pleasantry so that when she greeted you, she would give you, you know, sort of the hug. Oh, how are you? So nice to see you again. When you would notify her, like, the greeting sort of became this sort of pre-programmed thing where it was like, hello, grandma. I, you know, I'm so happy to see you. to sort of re- reinforce... Our roles to each other, mm-hmm. you know, in that split second, and then she would immediately sort of like relax and you know take remember your hand. Where she was. Yeah. I well, and I don't even know if she remembered where she was, but she was putting on that like
1: well that she that could face. Be comfortable yeah, with she was like, because... "Oh, you're my
2: grandchild." Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. how are you doing? It's so nice to see you again. And then right. would you know we would kind of go through the thing a couple times throughout those visits. But I think the same thing at Christina, she was in a good mood and she was with people she trusted (laughs) and and they were receptive and positive to her. So I think that's what really helped.
1: And so our transition was very easy. She walked in, the activity director came over and said, Donna, we are so happy to have you here and we've got a seat right here. You're just in time for lunch. She took her hand. She walked her into the dining room. She turned around to us and blew kisses at us and the, the activity director waved us away and said, now's your time. We now here's the transition. Run. And they put her <laughs> no. in there. She never <laughs> cried. She never said another word. She just accepted that that was where she was to be. We, on the other hand, walked out and cried our eyes out in the parking lot.
2: Just turned to puddles. That
1: That <laughs> transition was a little bit tough, but we knew that we were doing the right thing. And my dad, you could see the relief in him physically and that, that she transitioned so smoothly made it just that much easier.
0: That and would have um, been nice. Uh, we, yeah. What we did is we moved all of my mom's stuff into her room. We put up all the family photos that she had had down the hallway to the bedrooms in their house. And we, we pretty much tried to recreate her space. Right. Um, and then the son-in-laws, my husband and my brother-in-law, um, brought mom over. We showed her her room and it was terrible. And she missed dinner with the rest of the people. So I can see how your the way you guys handled it was definitely better. So I think that's, that's a good thing for people to know because, you know, we did it the way we were kind of told and it was, Like I said, it was pretty traumatic.
1: Right. And it's not that there weren't people there. (laughs) I remember going to visit mom and there was a bench at the front door and there were always two ladies there sitting with their purses on their lap, ready to bolt. (laughs) So when we would come in, we would know that we would have to say, okay, (laughs) you block Carol so that she doesn't start running for the door. And because the gal sitting next to her, will go with her. It's just different levels of the, the process. And we felt very grateful that at the time mom went in, she was, it was, it was her, the right time to actually not traumatize the situation, you know, for her being fearful. When my dad finally could not do it anymore was that time, you know, it just seemed an easier transition. Yeah, when
2: he let his, his sort of stubborn pride go. Of being sort of like a little
1: bit, yeah. He wanted. I'm the to husband. I
2: need to be the one that is. I made a vow, you know. Like right. there's, there's some chivalry there.
1: Well, and it, it's, it's not beyond until your scope a your little kids bit. Sometimes, your you, "Dad, you, you're doing it. You did it." Yeah. Till you know, literally, death do you part. You did an excellent job. He did. He shielded his kids, the grand, you know, grandkids and the too. grandkids as best he could. But when we had to get involved, we stepped up. And we helped him get through those parts that he couldn't get through. He kept his promise. And I think he's finally at peace with that. Mm.
0: That's good. Now, I want to ask a quick question. You said mom was really organized. Yes. Did you notice? Because one of the early signs of Alzheimer's or memory loss, and you said they diagnosed her with vascular dementia. So this may not apply because that's Mm -hmm. different. But one of the early signs is the inability to like make a plan and follow it through, like follow a a recipe you've used all these times or, you know, okay, we're going to have family Sunday dinner and this person's bringing this and that person's bringing that and I'm going to do this, you know, those kind of details. Did you notice she having struggles with that?
1: You know, they had stopped doing that kind of stuff a long time ago. Um, we took over family gatherings. So we would just tell them, you know, just just show up you need to bring. And this is where we're doing it. You know, that kind of stuff. So a a lot like around the time that they were, um, retiring. Well, even before Before that, that, my brother and I, uh, you know, those families we took on every other holiday, you know, so they just didn't have to worry about it anymore.
2: Yeah. That's funny. Like I never really noticed, um, the, the over attention to detail. But now that you've mentioned it, like the kid's closet at grandma's house that had all of our, like where we would just go to get crayons and coloring books and whatnot, like very specifically organized coloring books, crayon boxes activity sets games. and games
1: yes and a specific space <laughs> underneath the stairs that little people could get into yeah to find those things
2: That's, uh, yeah exactly yeah. I, now that I'm like remembering <laughs> this room vividly she, from my childhood like yes. the playing cards the board games the coloring books and then these sort of like three VHS tapes that we would watch when we go over to grandma
0: you said they stopped doing some of the things like hosting the family dinners and when you look back, you could probably say, "Well, you know what? She was probably starting to have memory issues then." It you know becomes a challenge to to plan out even simple things. And one of the best examples I've I've read recently is a lot of times people who are starting in the early stages of memory loss, you know, they they stop eating properly, and you and a lot of us are like, "Well, why can't they just make a freaking sandwich for themselves?" Well, if you stop and think about all the steps involved in making a sandwich. Right, you got to get out the bread and the meat and the cheese and the condiments, and you got to put it all together in a nice way. You got to—I mean, there's a lot of steps just to a basic sandwich, and mm-hmm. if your b- brain is not processing, you know, step one, two, three, four in in the proper order, making a sandwich is a challenge. We're dealing with that with my mom's youngest sister. I was
2: just that's the first um, thing you showed up. To we my mind, yeah. we
1: have this issue running through the sisters, the older sister is in um, her daughter's care in Colorado. Mm. She's in a facility and is having memory issues. Um, And then my mom, who was more advanced than both of her sisters, but they're all in different stages of it. And then her younger sister, who's probably mid to late seventies, I believe um, is exhibiting the same memory loss issues. And my dad, he went to go check on her sister, finding very familiar signs and getting her financial well-being in order um, to take care of that because without those durable power of attorneys of authority, we cannot take care of her. He took it on in the middle of all of this to make sure that her bills were paid, that he had durable power of finance and health for her. And then for us as the committee now has expanded to um, other cousins uh, to see where we can now take care of Aunt Mary, who is in a very um, kind of a tender stage of this illness because she's aware, partially. So when you try to ask her questions, she gets resentful. Why are you asking me that? But- She can't work a microwave, doesn't remember how. Um, We're not even sure that she's showering herself on a regular basis. And my dad goes out there once a week and he makes, she picks up mail, picks up whatever's coming, checks on her, takes her out of the house. But he's concerned that she takes walks every day now and that this is not going to get any better and that we need to do something. And so we're in the throes of that.
2: Trying to get her to, Trying stop, to get stop getting delivery from you know, pizza, pizza Hut. Yeah. yeah,
1: she calls Pizza Hut and they deliver food. She remembers
2: enough about yeah. how to get pizza delivered.
1: But she can't make any I don't know if she makes her tea anymore.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, she can't. My dad tried to get her to do the microwave and she just didn't remember. Uh, she was at my mom's memorial and she followed me around couldn't remember my name, was very concerned that she could not remember anybody's names there, which was a lot of family. Um, And I told her, you just stay right by me. You need someone's name. I'll give you their name and we'll reintroduce you. And so she did follow me around for a while. And at, at mom's memorial, we had a A display of her seasons of life and one of the seasons was when she was born which had a lot of pictures of my mom as a baby and aunt mary and her sister and mother and father and that's the table that mary went to and would tell people That's my sister donna. That's my sister zoe Mm. And that's me. There's my brother. There's my mom and dad and I thought hover up that table mary and remember
0: Yeah, that's
1: your family. Mm. But she didn't remember anything past that on the memories of my mom and even pictures of her older. So it was quite an eye opener for the extended committee (laughs) to say, "Uh oh, here we go again in the throes of all of this. This is a challenging year, a couple of years, and and it's not over because we're still trying to um, assist Aunt Mary and it's not going to be easy. We are going to have a fight because we're, we're trying to look for where she can afford with what she's got. And it looks as though we may need to take her out of state. So that might not be a journey that's going to be easy, so. You
2: no, know, trying a, to convince her, in.
0: Yeah. Is there a community near the, the person who's in Colorado?
1: Um, actually, they're looking for another cousin that's living in Nevada. Who has, is her? Is one of the durable or one of the
2: people that, of, for so, her care? Yeah, the closest to a sort of son to her. She didn't right. have any kids of her own, right? Um, but has and a very he, very close bond to um, you know your cousin,
1: right? So the, he's involved with um, my cousin in Colorado. My cousin in Colorado cannot do this because she's taking care of her but mom. Her mother, yeah. um, so we are. We are in discussions about that, and both of the, them are talking to because my cousin in Colorado has done a lot of research on the financial aspect. Is the same for both both in
2: multiple states? So, like she's she's yeah.
1: Gone. They have to dig, dig into uh, finances. Differently than my dad had to from my mom. So. We're going to have to
2: start like a, like a family trust that encompasses the entire extended family <laughs> so that we can like have governance board meetings to decide like how <laughs> we're going right. to financially handle our generations as we go older. Well,
1: and, and it's different too just simply because we went through it and, and Dottie's been through it in Colorado with her mom by herself, just with her husband. Uh, her sister passed away years ago, so she doesn't have any sibling assistance there. And then Dwayne, who his daughters still aren't married yet, you know, yeah. they're still a young family. And still, so one of them's
2: still in college. Yeah. yeah.
1: So oh, yeah. he's, he's taking on something that is, he's learning about. Um, and, and we're trying to help that, you know, as best we can, if, if it should be something that changes, we have to go to plan B, <laughs> but we all have to be involved. Because like Corey said she does not she did never married and never had children and considers us her babies yeah whether she remembers our names or not we're there to help protect her you know and uh, my dad can only do so much yeah um, and I don't blame him for not wanting to take any more on than he's already taken on so no, it's he, exhausting yeah, yeah yeah he did his he did his his duty um, and he's helping to transition in this to make sure that Mary is safe wherever she ends up.
0: Well, that's awesome of him. And I like Corey's idea of the, like the generational family trust governance. I don't right? even know if that's a thing you can do, but it's It'll have Why not? Ended. Why not? Like I, we just I think have we've like done a, it in a way.
1: Yeah, with the committee. We just keep adding people. You got come in here, come in here, and we will help guide you where you need to go. We
2: we could also like set up in that respect, like what you would expect for your future if your your health were to, to true, so or that or everybody's whatever, you know? aware of what's like everybody going in the on. family just sort of knows, like okay, these are the plans for our generational. You know, okay. like can we vote on stuff, and we could. <laughs> You know, yeah. Why, why and, not? And the important we, we vote to, on where where to have Christmas. Why can't we vote <laughs> on like where we want to? You know, sort of end up in our care facilities. Well,
1: that's that. true. And and if you, as you get through your life, like we are at our specific stages, you set up a trust and a will, and you make right. sure that those things are written and um, makes it easy for the children to take on whatever needs to happen. And yes. I tell my dad all the time, you know, when you're 20-something, 30-something, you go, yeah, 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 dad, thanks for the thing, we did our will and trust, we did this, we did that. And you're not ready to hear that. Then you get older and you think, okay, I need to do this for you right. because I want that transition when that happens to be as seamless for you as possible. So we did that. My brother did that for his four kids. I did that for you, or we did that for you. And so it makes it easier um, to plan for that, you know, to have the long term care uh, available to you so that you can make these decisions mm. easier. Unfortunately for Dottie and for my Aunt Mary, they didn't do that. Right. And so we are learning as we go. It's not the same situation that it was for mom. Um, Dad just told us, I, you know, money is no object at this point. So you just tell me where you feel like we, you know, you would feel comfortable putting mom.
0: Right.
1: And that's what we did. But it's very different.
0: So are you familiar with family history films? They're from your part of the world. They're from London. No, I'm not actually, no. Well, Family History Films is a company that creates personal broadcast quality documentaries that are fully researched by professional genealogists and historians exploring your family's ancestry and origins all over the world. As a client, Family History Films will work closely with you, filming in both the comfort of your own home or at locations special to you and your family. That sounds amazing. The films are personalized and personal, and they're built around interviews with you and your family members, and your memories are the most important source. Clients have described their work as PBS quality, an amazing experience, and fascinating to watch. You'll find more testimonials at myfamilyhistoryfilm.com. The process works wonders for older clients, letting them relive their memories not just by helping to make the films, but by watching them. That would be incredible to have because Dad was born in India, um, so we don't. He was brought over on a boat. There's no. There's actually nothing of him coming into this country. So um, it's just been it's been horrendous trying to trying to track it now because he doesn't really remember anything. You know, that's mm-hmm. brilliant. Family history films works with people from coast to coast and around the world. If you'd like to find out more about your family history, visit MyFamilyHistoryFilm.com or email Paul Hurley, their creative director, at Paul at MyFamilyHistoryFilm.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation. Yeah, my parents had a trust. I mean, the one thing that I, I didn't understand with my dad, I mean, he planned so much and did really well like you guys are talking about, but he didn't, it wasn't super clear in the trust what, whose roles were what, if he were to pass first, Oh, Um, it was in there, but we actually, my sister and I had to go to an attorney who had to read through it. It was on page one of his part of the trust that if he passed first, my mom obviously was the beneficiary and the trustee and all that stuff. But she was not legally competent. And it was on like page 11 where it said my sister and I were the successor trustees if my mom was unable to handle everything. And I mean, we thought we were literally terrified that we were going to have to go to court and have her declared legally incompetent. And fortunately, this lawyer found where it was in the trust. You know, but it was like, but they didn't talk, you know, I knew my mom did not. She didn't want to end up like her mom. Well, <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew a long time ago that wasn't mm-hmm. going to be the case. And they just had this, I don't think they ever actually went to a for-profit, assisted living, memory care community and looked at it. Well, no, my dad had been at one. We went together for the business we had together. So I don't know. I don't, I don't understand why it was never discussed. You know, what, what we would we do with mom? It was just assumed she'd come live with me. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
2: I'm sure with lots of conversation with you at that point.
0: <laughs> no conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Like zero. I found out from his friend. Yeah, he just looked at me and he goes, well, you know, your dad just assumed your mom's going to live with you. And I'm like, nope. You know, that's <laughs> not, not going to happen. That, at that point, my daughter still lived at home. So I don't know where they thought I was going to put my mom.
1: Well, and in his state of mind of caregiving, I can see where you, you kind of shut down. You you just make it so in your head and just hope that everybody takes care of it. And I think that's at, at a certain point, that's where my dad got, where he just, I cannot make this decision. I need your help. And that was where we stepped in. And it was literally to to find the place to put mom knowing that once she was there, this life was going to change as he knew it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: we knew it, but mostly for him. For 24-7, he was taking care of every need that she ever had. And he finally admitted he couldn't do it anymore. And no judgment. I don't know, well, you know how people only- deal with that. It is just... You you gotta go to the next step.
2: You try to put that in perspective too. Like it's a life that he's been familiar with, accustomed to for sixty years.
1: Well, they would have celebrated their sixty second.
2: Yeah, sixty two years together. So to to be to know that like once this happens, this is a complete one hundred and eighty on on your life. You know his
1: purpose. Mm-hmm. daily purpose was changing and really at that time he did not know he was um there was depression he was uh how am I going to deal with this it's going to be quiet how am I going to deal with this mm-hmm. and it's like one step at a time dad but it's a it was a total um fear uh, you know of of how how is this going to be once this is done and so it took a while for him to cross that line to actually say, I have no choice. I have to do this. He held on to it as long as he could. Um, and then when the committee came in, he realized that that help was there. You know, we'll, we'll help you get through that part too.
2: Well, and, um, and then he could sort of begin the, the process of like letting go of grandma. Right. Even while she was still alive. I mean, that sounds... Hold, I guess, to, to, to the, to like an outside point of view, but like really grandma left well before she, she actually passed, you right. know? Um, and that process of being able to, you know, take a deep breath and not have to um, be her primary care- caregiver for my grandfather allowed him to start the process of sort of grieving his wife.
1: Grieving you know? his wife and living, taking yeah. care of himself right. as well, because he could not do by his choice, um, do a lot of things he should have been doing.
2: Well, yeah, he sacrificed his entire life at that point to make sure that she was comfortable.
1: Exactly. Until Mm -hmm. like the the couple months before when we had the caregiver that came in-house and then he would leave to go do things where he didn't have to take mom with him. And and mom was comfortable like staying with the caregiver, but she would get panicky if she didn't see my dad. So he would take her everywhere. So it took Three times as long to do something because she would wander, <laughs> he'd lose her, you know, all of those things that honestly, uh, I can only hear what he's saying. I never experienced those things because he never, he never pulled us into that.
2: It's all very tight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That sounds yeah. like what my dad did. Mm-hmm. And I've taken my mom out, you know, to buy stuff she needs, toilet paper, all the usual basics. And I always get a little bit nervous. She absolutely loves kids. I mean, she's a mom, she's a grandma, loves children. And sometimes she approaches moms with babies in strollers and Mm -hmm. she never touches them. Not yet, but I'm always afraid, you know, that it's, you know, how people can be a little weird. Some people don't want normal people approaching their kids. Exactly. You know, I think it's obvious that my mom is not all there. So I would hope that, you know, if I don't catch it before, you know, she sees, she seems to spot the moms with strollers way before I do. Right. (laughs) Um, Like one day I, I turned, I turned my back to pick something up off the shelf and I turned back and she's standing there with her hands, you know, up against her chest and she's talking to this mom with this baby in the stroller. And I was just like, Oh please, oh. please, please be kind. She just, you know, and it's like, and please don't try to touch the baby. I was just, I almost went into panic mode. We never were able to take mom out of the facility. She, um,
2: well, my she, dad, she it hard to get her in a car. Yeah, even, it know? was. She,
1: she was fearful of everything towards the end, more so than she ever. She always was fearful, but it just was more. She, um, she was
2: quite a tentative one. Yes.
1: Yeah, she got a lot of visits. Um, and they would bring the babies in. And, of course, the grandkids were the biggest hit of everyone there. You know, you'd yeah. bring a baby in, and all of the grandmas would become grandmas oh, yeah. <laughs> again. You know, and so We'd have to Corey's do the tour. wife. Corey's right? wife would take the boys yeah. out and, and just talk to all the residents and they would like, Oh baby. And yeah, you do
2: the tour of the courtyard and everybody kind of the gets a courtyard
1: in the activity room <laughs> and the dining rooms. So Jackson was, had questions, you know, yeah. he didn't understand why great grandma was not recognizing him. And, and so it was a, a lesson would, like, for them. Out, yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, it so was it was sort of quite, for uh, yeah a few minutes yeah. but babies seemed to be the key uh, it brought it was so um joyful i i every time the babies were there to see the light come on everybody's face uh the moms mostly not the the men that were there, but it was mostly <laughs> for the the women that were there well,
2: I think it, it's kind of a, a beautiful example of this sort of human condition right right like that. <clears throat> When you see like as as a somebody who has lived a full life, somebody who has, you know, raised children of their own or you know, helped in the sort of communal raising of children, um, or having had grandbabies or, or whatever, when you see new life mm-hmm. at that old older age, mm-hmm. how much it just brings a light back to you. Right. As a person, you know, like that's that's kind of this beautiful little example, like I said, like of, of like humanity mm-hmm. in a weird way that like you know, a baby comes around and you're just like, oh, a baby. Mm-hmm. Look at how adorable. Like, I oh, know. you have so much potential ahead of you. That's right. And, you know, like to to see that, especially in, in these care homes, and I'm I'm sure that's why grandma gravitated towards the baby dolls.
1: The baby doll. You yeah. know,
2: yeah. She would just always carry, carry it around. And, and the, the padding went from like banging on a table to sort of like
1: padding the back, padding
2: the back of the baby yeah. or or the sort of, you know, like the butt of the baby to sort of like rock it to sleep or whatever. Yeah. I wonder if there is like a study that talks about the connection between like babies and, and elderly people. I,
1: I think there's a part of their brain that remembers way, way back. And that joy, I, I don't know. No. I think there's a part of them that's in there mm-hmm. as they, as they decline Just
2: banging on the doors
1: and, and as, as daughters and grandchildren, and you know, we are trying to spark something in that part of their memory where that you can see in their eyes, you can see it. And it's like, I know you're there. I know you're there. And just acknowledge that uh, Mm -hmm. for them. If that's all you can do is just acknowledge that that spark is still there.
0: I think it might also be, it's such a basic core of our biology to care Mm -hmm. for these small little humans with all this potential Mhm Mom was a huge part of my daughter's early childhood, you know, until mm-hmm. they get to that snotty teenage years, but I think it's almost basic biology but I think it just goes to the core of our humanity, and I think that's why they perk up and you know my mom always loves it when there's kids visiting. I go on mondays so i I don't get to see that terribly often
1: mm-hmm. but when i
0: you know there was one day this two-year-old was there and he was just literally running around screaming like two-year-olds do. And the first thing my mom did was kind of complain about the noise, which is typical <laughs> for her. But then she realized that it was a kid and she's like, oh, but it sounds like they're having a lot of fun. So it was very interesting to see her reaction to this little guy. And it was very different. It's it's interesting. The last thing that when she was at home,
1: um, Corey had had his second son he was only maybe three weeks old. Four um, weeks he old. was pretty
2: fresh squeeze, but uh, I'm he not was sure. so
1: tiny. And we took Army over to meet great grandma. And at this point, my mom would jibber jabber when she talked. There was nothing that made sense. You know, she would go off on a conversation and we would just shake our heads and listen. Yeah, well, she would join the conversation with a few words. She would join a and conversation and just like, you know, having this conversation,
2: and then they would get scrambled, and
1: nothing yeah. made sense. We put Army in her arms, and I have this is the last videotape. I have this was literally before we put her um, at Crescendo. She's holding him, she's looking at him, and she's having a conversation with him. Um, you know, hello, sweetheart. How are you? I mean, literally, yeah, a com a one on one conversation that made sense. Wow. And she would look up and say, he is just precious. And then look back down at him. And he's looking at her. She's looking at him. And I was in awe. I I took the video and I went, dad, uh, you know, she's actually having a conversation that makes sense. And that was the last time I think that there was a, that come out of her. But it was while he laid in her lap and connected somehow. It was intriguing to
0: say the least. It's just really interesting because they're all different, but some of them do get, um, you know, not, they get a little hostile and a lot of it's fear. Exactly. You know, my
1: mom did the same thing. She did the same thing. And a lot of other people there had their own triggers that would, um, I mean, we were sitting in there one time and they called bingo a bingo game. And so they all came down, and the caregiver was late for bingo, and they all got really bad.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, don't be late <laughs> oh, for bingo. Oh, my
1: goodness. And I sat there and I said, You know, she'll be here in just a minute. Well, she was supposed to. I go, Well, she's going to go get the bingo balls. Why do we
2: even have activity schedules That's if we're not exactly going to keep that? <laughs> exactly.
1: What the bingo master, a gentleman who who they were waiting for him to get there, um, he's here, and we need to start the bingo now. <laughs> it was funny but the you know i caregivers (laughs) honestly um uh, they are the best Uh, it just they could probably write novels on all the different things that they've dealt with and seen um but for me it was quite an interesting journey um where you have to sit pretty much in the background and just let it happen Mm -hmm. and you can't react. My dad was a a big advocate for instructional um, educational things to give to the family to say, this is how you should be speaking to someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. You can't challenge them. Don't, don't say, you've said that to me three times. And I did a lot of shaking my head and really, really. And then that causes them to go on to their next thought, whatever it is, and keeps them comfortable. So,
2: Yeah, there's this yeah. sort of a retraining that, that you need to go through. And a lot of people sort of just deal, like, figure that out the hard way.
1: Right. And your, your own like, frustrations uh, have to go, um, you have to deal with those in another place.
2: The first part of that, though, is, is, is acceptance, too. Like, you have right? to accept that. You know your your loved one, your the strong mother figure, your your you know the father figure, or you know whatever has has She's now no transitioned dead. into, um, you know somebody who's who's dealing with the world that is brand new to them every twenty minutes or it two is. days or you know whatever,
1: and they're scared.
2: And yeah, there's a fear to that mm-hmm. because the all the power that they had or the perception that they have of self at that point is also in in or, you know, like it's in conflict. And so yeah, absolutely. They're they're afraid that their world is completely different. They don't understand why. Because their brain isn't isn't able to contextualize and, and that with know. a sort of memory of way they're yeah. you know doing We don't what
1: know do. what's firing and what's not if they come into a realization where they go, Ah, this isn't me yeah. and then it goes away. You know. So that's it's got to be a a huge struggle in their heads. Yeah. Just we don't know. And you would never know unless God forbid you have to deal with it yourself. And then you, you know. can't
0: explain it either. What advice would you give for people whose family members are maybe in the earlier or middle stages so they can avoid some of the, the heartache that I've gone through? It sounds like you guys, you guys got your committee together, which really helped a lot.
1: If, if anything, I would say you need to rally, you need to rally together okay. because this shouldn't be something that's done alone, alone. Um, it may have begun that way with, um, your father or your mother or, but people need to help. You need to support. That's what the family unit is all about. And there are going to be things that some people can handle. Some people can't. And, and as a group, you can get through all of that. And you need to be aware too, because You know, this is a learning experience for the young, the mid part, you know, midlife, whatever, because you still have a family member, maybe like we do, that he's not going to be there to take care of himself. We're going to have to step in to do that. So you better educate yourself and make it known to the family members that, you know, I'm going to need you to help me when it comes time for grandpa. Yeah. And in our case, right now, we're rallying again for Aunt Mary. Right. Um, so it's another learning experience uh, for that. Um, uh, my dad is nowhere near there to need help. He's, he's sound mind, physically. Right. He's doing just fine, moving on um, with with living his life as best he can at his age right now. And so, you know, but it it is going to be something that we can't ignore. So you might as well get your unit together now and learn as you go and, and be engaged with it. Um, It's not easy. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to have to deal with it and, and communicate.
2: Yeah. To communicate that, that was going to be my, my addition to that is um, talk about it, you know, with, with your loved one as, as you see some of the signs, like bring it up, keep it a a part of the sort of open line of communication Mm -hmm. Um, to try to help remove some of the stigma and shame that we might feel about having to deal with losing our memory or being embarrassed or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. the more you talk about it, the more you make it more of a normal
1: and you know thing. It, yeah. And and
2: yeah, learn learn Education about the things the and and stay open about the, the you know what's going on. Right. Uh, the easier it will be to transition into a care facility. The easier it will be to figure out ways that are best. You know figure out better strategies for, you know, whether or not we age out at home or, you know, whether we even need a facility or, you know, whatnot, like really removing this sort of stigma of like, you know, speaking in another room about like, is mom, you know, losing her memory or, you know, whatever being more open about it, I think will help everyone in the long run too. I agree. And then that leads to the community committees. Well, and, and as you know, all make your
1: committee, that's my favorite word, because it is yeah. so what it is, you know, it is, um, be very mindful and honest, too, in that group setting of where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are, and you can help each other. Um, and, and we did. Divide and um, conquer. My sister-in-law is mm. so strong and so level-headed that she helped guide me, who wow. wasn't at the time, you know, to be able to see different perspectives and to sort of level out to focus on what we needed to do. Um, so everybody brought something to the table. And again, um, it was created a couple of years ago and now we're moving forward to help the cousins that have come into the committee to help other family members. Um, cause it just doesn't go away. You can't not deal with it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately.
0: Now, quick question on the committee. Was there any, for lack of a better term, like negative family dynamics? Cause I know a lot of people. I've heard horror stories and my sister and I weren't close and we've thankfully navigated taking care of mom and doing what we need to do well, which is great. But I know there's some people whose, you know, sibling doesn't help or, you know, there just seems to be that negative family dynamic that I can almost hear somebody going, oh, well, that's great for them. Their family all sounds great, but my family is a pain (laughs) in the butt.
1: Exactly. And, and at our situation, it was not an issue. Um, we, we knew what needed to happen. Um, we knew what we needed to do yeah. as a group. Um, but more or less, more mm-hmm. or less. Yeah. We were learning at the same time as well.
2: There, there were still struggles, you know, to uh, on, on that, on that front as well. But like, I, I think re- really the, the committee has to be volunteer, you know like it, and it also has to be um understanding of you know like the the different personal comfort levels and thresholds that the different members of the committee have right. towards what they are they're willing to take on right you know where where you'll get a lot of pushback and struggle is when you're trying to expect that one you know person in your family who you know isn't going to be able to you know call a bunch of facilities and whatnot and putting that responsibility on them.
1: Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't make anybody to put judgment, um, or, you know, try to force the situation, even though it does put a burden on everyone else. Um, and it's something that just has to be dealt with that at the time, you know, my, my approach would be then fine. I understand, but we got to move on here. So, if you're ready to come in at a certain another time, that's great. But we we gotta do something about this now.
2: Or decisions need to be made. And right now, now, we
1: can't deal with um,
2: the hesitation. The hesitation
1: right now. So, but it's not a judgment. It is where you are right now, um, and you deal with it then. Yeah. Yeah, So keep expectations reasonable. Mm -hmm. Right or no expectations at all. Yeah. You, you yeah. deal it out because we're adults and you, you say, this is what we need to do now. We don't have a choice and educate everybody as best you can. And it's up to everybody else to decide what you are going to do. It, it what, you can't force people to do something.
2: I, that, I think, I think too, like, being like discussing the fact and like coming to terms with the fact that like, it's going to get uncomfortable.
1: Yes. You know? I'm saying it's not easy.
2: It's, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to feel awkward about, you know, having to make these decisions about like your, your parents or your feelings that you're having about whatever, that you know? are
1: very valid. Yes. Um,
2: and, and to acknowledge each other, you know, in your support, community as well I think that helps relax some of that and then people are more apt to sort of pick the ball up and and run with it and
1: that's where we are with my aunt's care right now is that we're trying to acclimate new members to the committee to make them feel like they're not alone um, in the process Um, we're not quite sure that they well the one is aware of what they've actually
2: off, off. Yeah. <laughs> what <a Yeah>. <laughs> of exactly
1: um and so we're trying to help with that um as best we can right now
0: and that's the awkward part
2: yeah and yeah. it's okay and it's yeah.
0: okay it does feel sometimes like mom has memory loss and it seems to have sucked up a lot more of my time even though she's in a community right i'm just shocked at how much time my dad said stuff. the same thing. Yeah. I'm more involved now than
1: I was when she was living here.
0: But well, he goes, it's in a
1: different capacity. But he goes, I wouldn't have it any other way. I know she's safe. Right. I yeah. know that he's being taken care he,
2: of. He can dedicate more active time to specific things. Whereas before he, he was 24-7. Right. but whether he acknowledges it that you know he was 24/7 mm-hmm. you know and, and felt like even the passive times he is he was being right. you know um, a caregiver Mm-hmm. You know, even when she's sleeping or when, you know. Well,
1: I think it's important to note that even though you do put someone in a care facility, your caregiving responsibilities, unless you just walk away from it, are not over.
2: That's not
0: recommended.
1: They, um, you know, there are other things that you either choose to have them do or they inform you need for yeah. you to do for them to cut costs or whatever the case may be like the clothing for your mother or the items that she, her toiletries and all of those things that at a cost, you could get them to do them for you. Uh, But my dad chose not to, he chose to have them text him or call him when they needed um, him to do shopping for her. And he went and visited her several times a week. To make sure that the items that he was purchasing were being used and where her inventory, you know, he just kept tabs on them and her. Yeah, you know, keeping tabs on those stuff is a challenge. Keeping tabs and also making his presence known with the staff there too—that I'm aware of her care, literally. (laughs) So um, if there's an issue, I'm going to kind of let you know. (laughs) Yeah, had some meetings. Where he pulled in the leadership and said, "I'm not happy with this. Can we see if we can make a change? Not just for my wife, but for everybody else here."
2: Yeah, it, it all so, sounds so fun, doesn't it?
1: Well, it is. Mm-hmm. It progresses, and it's it's in like I said, it's an it's it's sad, but it is something that does progress. Um, once it starts progressing, it progresses rapidly into completely different things that you yeah. wouldn't think. You know, my yeah. dad was always on his toes thinking, oh, okay, this week we're doing this yeah, now. Yeah, now
2: we're dealing with this. Yeah. And,
1: you know, where's your baby doll? What baby doll are you talking about? We don't you know, care about the baby anymore. She had yeah. to have it, and now she doesn't remember, you know. No. So he says it's constantly changing. And, you know, he said, I just feel bad for her for her mind. You know, it must be a mess in there of her trying to remember try to think and, it's happening just as fast for her in her head. Yeah. But she's losing more
0: every time, you know? Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I want to ever know if they're aware of what's going on. I think in the beginning you are, but like now where literally my mom doesn't remember one or two minutes ago, which is really weird. But if that's, that's your life, if that's all you are used to at this point, and maybe it's not so bad, but I don't, I don't want, I don't think I want to know if she's aware that, that her mind is just going. I mean, yeah. she makes that comment oh all my memory's not what it used to be. And trust me, it's really hard not to laugh when she says that. Right. right. I, once she leaned over toward me and I was recording at the time and she's like, well, I guess senility is just setting in. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh dear. I did believe that. Card. Yeah, I left that little clip in on that episode because I'm like, <laughs> I should almost just put that at the end of each episode. <laughs> <laughs> it is.
1: It's just, it's, it's a hard thing to understand, to really fully understand. And you would hope that maybe they're shielded from that. My mom, when she started falling out of bed oh, towards dear. the end there, they did put her on hospice watch is what they called it in, in the community on the second floor. And so for probably two, two and a half months, she was under hospice care until she got some intestinal,
2: she got, sick. Um,
1: she got sick with some intestinal contagious thing. Mm. And then they, they had to take her out because it was a contagious deal and put her in a sniff. Um, and consequently that's where she passed away. And it's not uncommon. Mm.
0: <sighs> yeah. so, many, so much journey left to walk it is
1: and you know they'll know they'll know and they'll let you know um, yeah. my dad was surprised and when he told me that we he had talked to the facility um, uh, gal there at crescendo and she suggested hospice and I immediately went to what and he goes no 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 there are levels of hospice yeah and I was not aware of that Hospice
2: sort of sounds like a four-letter word right know?
1: so so they and they actually bring in a hospice person that is assigned and takes care of them 24/7 for all of her needs. And they basically were concerned because she was getting up and falling. You know, she was she was um she was in in a place where she could hurt herself. And so they made sure they got her a hospice bed with uh, bars awesome. on it so that she couldn't she couldn't get out of bed on her own and of course the alarms were different on the bed, you know, in case she decided to climb over the bars, but she wasn't um, strong enough to do that, but they did an excellent job. And that's how, you know, they do then monitor other physical things um, that, that come about and, and know the stages that they're going through and let you mm-hmm. know, well, this has been nice. It's been, uh, it's been quite um, good for me to talk about this too.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm glad. Yeah, it's and I love the fact that you guys have this committee. I think that's fantastic. I
1: think that that should become a a key thing in this process because no one should have to do this alone. Definitely, and it's an affectionate um, uh, in our family. It's an affectionate term to to just say we're not alone in this. Everybody has a voice.
2: Yeah, I think the the committee doesn't have, doesn't necessarily have to be like immediate family either. No. You know, your, your committee is, is your, your sounding board, your, you know, the people that you trust the most, it could be very close friends. It could be, you know, family, it could be whatever
1: that help you make those, that help you make those decisions to
2: help you sort of figure out like, what what is the best course of, of, Mm -hmm. of action? You know, um, I think that's important in general for life, like to have your committee, but for making these decisions. Um in in you know, your older life and in your parents' older life and and whatnot. It's it's a really valuable. And for
1: kids and their mothers and fathers to have conversations now when we can tell you. Yeah. As opposed to waiting when you can't.
2: And making really inappropriate, morbid jokes about our own death. (laughs) Yeah. that's... That's one
0: thing. When my dad was on hospice, I don't even remember how it came up, but and I've made this comment before, like, they, the hospice people said, you know, your morbid sense of humor is really refreshing. And I thought, I'm not sure that's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait a minute here. This is like oh, the funeral no. home director telling you that. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, I don't know like,
2: if you can't laugh, you'd, you know. That
0: well, is
1: true. Yeah, it is. And what you're doing here is quite, um, extraordinary too i mean yeah. for people to be able to tune in and privately listen to other people's stories to get a handle on where they are with it as well
2: well and not feel alone because now there's this this whole community that's exactly. talking about it yeah
1: exactly that oh that i'm feeling that or oh my gosh this is scary and i'm scared and you were too it's 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 really good well yeah. this is great this is it's- great and i'm glad to have been a part of it i'm glad to have- had,
0: had you guys this afternoon
2: yeah thanks for having us
0: if you found this episode helpful and informative please give us a 5 star rating and review on Apple iTunes this is how new people will find us also be sure to follow us on social media all of our accounts are linked in the show notes and as always I will be in your ears again next Tuesday